0: look out surging up from the depths of the sea horrifying mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search unless something is done and done quickly is this the end of our civilization you
1: will pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown
2: what does that mean
3: what
0: are you even talking about a deep penetrating
3: dive
0: in the last calm
3: and reflective moment before the monsters came from the deep
2: dive welcome to the podcast humanoids for the deep dive where we dig deep into the meanings and context of your favorite monsters and monster movies each episode we will see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and or film and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore today's episode we will be covering one of my favorite cryptids of all time as someone that grew up in the pacific northwest uh and my favorite film that features it bigfoot and the film exists. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Also follow us on Twitter at Dive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes, Looper, and Night Martin Film Street on Genre Film. I've co-edited a bunch of books uh, and written chapters on everything from Frankenstein to Alien to The Devil and Cloverfield. So if it's monsters, I love it, and I've probably written or done something about it. I'd like to first uh, introduce today's uh, rotating co-host, Andrew Fleming Dunn, who you may know as both a Twitch streamer and as a frequent co-host on this show. Thank you so much for stopping by again, Andrew.
3: Always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you.
2: And I'm especially pleased to introduce our two special guests Mm -hmm. uh, today. In addition to co-directing the influential Blair Witch Project, Eduardo Sanchez has co-written and directed a number of exceptional horror entries, including Lovely Molly, which I love, and Today's Focus, Exists, which I also love. And Jamie Nash has a ton of writing credits under his belt, including co-writing Today's Film Exists. Thank you both so much for stopping by today.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, man.
2: Yeah. Absolute pleasure. I mean, any any episode where we start off by talking about... Uh, cryptids right out the gate before even hit recording and i'm like okay
0: this is these are my people i like this. i like this plan wait do you, do you have episodes where you amble up the cryptids that's like it accidentally comes in, <laughs> in the uh i really need to do that a lot more like you know we're t-
2: we're talking about cloverfield i'm like and so sky snakes <laughs> Go with me on this. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> going to be it. my new philosophy. Uh, so, to first give a, a general plot summary for the film exists. So, the film starts off with brothers Brian and Matt inviting a group of friends on a camping trip to their uncle's cabin in East Texas. After stop to buy some fireworks, they hit something with the car, uh, driving irresponsibly, and stop to investigate. They don't see what exactly happened, but they hear loud animal cries in the distance and dismiss them and keep going. They they soon find that the roads blocked off by a fallen tree and they continue forward to the cabin when they soon discover that the cabin is worn down dilapidated dilapidated run down and they find themselves at threat by something in the woods that is legitimately out for their blood and uh <laughs> And that's the premise of the film. We'll, we'll be able to talk about all sorts of other aspects of it and, and, and the plot as we go along. But how I always start off with these types of things is, is you know, first, uh, Andrew and myself will give our general impressions. And then we'll have some questions for you all to start out before kind of digging into the Bigfoot context and, and, and the film in a deeper level. Uh, first, Andrew, would you like to give your general impressions first?
3: Oh, yeah, I... I... I love this movie. It's it's just a uh, it's a punch to the face. Whereas in a lot of found footage, particularly the one uh, we could argue that Eduardo Sanchez is most known for, this is the exact opposite of the Blair Witch. Whereas in Blair Witch, went lean and wanted you to use your imagination. This just says, no, here is Bigfoot. It's going to scream at you, and it's going to be awesome. Um, I actually got to see this at the holiday cinema um, on a forty. Uh, when you guys did a double feature of Blair Witch and Exists, and uh, seeing this on the big screen was a treat with an audience and everyone just screaming and like yelling. And I've seen a lot of Bigfoot films as a as a horror movie fan, and this is the only one, maybe since Boggy Creek, that's worth the damn. Like I'm going to go that far. Mm-hmm. This movie rocks. Like it's got my like a hundred percent.
2: I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of uh, you know folks at home who are listening. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of obviously of creature features, but specifically creature design and films that are bold enough to break the rules to not only have a quality design and a great creature performance, but then to put it in full display and make that work. I love the simplicity of the premise in this one and the nuance that it adds to the Bigfoot mythos. But I also love that not only is the design great, but you literally look it in the eyes, you know? Like, it's it's a, a bold mm. move for a subgenre that oftentimes is like, oh, no, it's, it's scarier if you just, you know, see an arm and it's reaching in, and that's just cheap and lazy, and you could do it well. But I'm always so impressed with the film that comes out swinging, and... This movie swings hard, yeah. and I love it every time I see it. It's so cool, so I'm I'm just pleased as punch that we get to talk to you guys about it and, and the concepts and things behind it. And, and oh, hell yeah. couldn't be happier.
1: Well, thanks, thanks for all the love, man. Appreciate it. No, that's great.
2: Absolutely, I mean that that's the number one thing about the show. Like, because it's all just like me and and people I know talking about things I love. Uh, <laughs> if I have someone on the show, it's a hundred
0: percent only because they're like, hey. I absolutely love what you're doing. I was a little worried when you started out. Like, give your first impression if it would be like, oh, I didn't really like it. <laughs> you know, we'd have to apologize for the next, you know.
2: No, this show's a hundred percent about the love. Like yeah, only right. about the love. For for questions, the, the first thing that I wanted to ask is um and then Andrew, you can you can chime in with any question you have at any time. But um why the inspiration to do a movie about Bigfoot?
1: I've been trying to make uh, a Bigfoot movie since I was a little kid, you know, since like, that was like my, you know, I, I love Bigfoot since I saw, um, uh, the Patterson Gimlin footage and then Legend of Boggy Creek and, uh, you know, in search of, um, and basically anything that had to do with Bigfoot, I was there, you know, the $6 million man and all the, you know, kind of the crazy, uh, Bigfoot and what was it Bigfoot and wild boy or something, or, you know, I mean there was, uh, you know, there was a lot of Bigfoot in the '70s, and I was right in the center of it. And it always, you know, it was like this love-hate because I relationship because I loved the creature, but it scared the crap out of me, and it kind of ruined parts of my childhood, really, because um, I was too scared to do certain things. But uh, that fascination, you know, kind of turned into like, you know, the filmmaking. I got into filmmaking, and uh, and then the, the big thing was like, I got to make a Bigfoot movie. And really, like, and I know Jamie and I talked about this for. Like, you know, probably the almost or the first time we met each other is the idea that like because we were both, you know, Bigfoot fans and there but there, you know, there hadn't been like a, a great representation of the creature on film. You know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. was always, um, you know, either six million dollar man where it was obviously, you know, a dude in a suit and they didn't really try to hide it. And it was a lot of slow motion shots. Um, and then, you know, Legend of Boggy Creek, which was like just glimpses of something that kind of looked like a creature. Mm-hmm. But I always felt like that, you know, uh, Bigfoot was either treated like like a, just like a creature, like a monster, like just like a, kind of mm-hmm. a non-reality based monster. Um, or it wasn't shown at all. And that was my big thing is like, I think that mm-hmm. we can do a Bigfoot movie that looks where the Bigfoot like looks, you know, really good. So... Um, So, you know, I I started kind of thinking about Bigfoot stories. And actually, this was like, I guess, the third Bigfoot script that I had written. And I had just basically just kept bringing the budgets lower and lower to make it you know more realistic to shoot, to be able to to finance them. And we got to the point where, um, you know, I got Jamie into this. uh, Actually, we had already written another script, another Bigfoot script. And then we, we were like, we almost sold that one. And we actually came back and we're like, let's do something that's a lot less, you know, budget and maybe we can get it financed. So we wrote this, we had this idea for just kind of this, a very, like you were saying, very simple premise of these kids go out to a cabin and Bigfoot attacks them. And it was all, you know, the creature was the main character for us. Um, And, uh, you know, and Jamie and I started to collaborate and we got, you know, the, the right producers and uh, we got the financing and we were able to make this film that, you know, that I had been trying to make since, you know, since I was a kid.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can definitely tell that uh, that in terms of the budget that uh, the, the production design of the cabin is really good. Like, I love how it's, it uses the spatiality of the uh, sort of the basement, the the subterranean like safe room yeah. kind of. Yeah. It's real smartly made. But then, other than that, you can tell that the budget goes into spot on creature design. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and if for a movie like that, if you're gonna aim dollars at something, that's the part you want to aim the dollars at. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think um, when Ed says that, like, before I even met him, he had a uh, really good Bigfoot script that he had written, I think, just before I even met Ed, like, years ago. Um, The one before this was all, it was funny, because that was originally called Exist, but we just kind of took the title to this one. Mm -hmm. And that's the one, like Ed said, we got really close to making, and it was very exciting because, uh, and we almost thought that could be the sequel if this had made a gazillion dollars. Or something, because it really was like an aliens to alien uh, version of this one, so it, it was it was pretty exciting But oh, wow. the simplicity of this one it's funny because this is a cabin in the woods kind of movie. It kind of came based out of the big budget of that one, like we can't pull that one off because it will cost you know such ten million dollars or whatever it would cost. so what can we do for like ten percent of that and that that's where this one really came from, and i I remember this was pitched to me. It was actually Ed and I think Greg Hale's idea for the basic simple story. But I really latched on to the simple story because much like Ed said, I had never seen a definitive Bigfoot movie. And even, I don't know if you remember this, Ed, but even in the development, like after we had a script and we were thinking about it, like there were some questions. It was like, should we have it be like people escaping from a bank robbery, hiding in the woods and stuff like that? And um, I remember we stuck to this for better or worse because we did want that movie that made Bigfoot the star you know it didn't become like Dustal till dawn meets Bigfoot or something like that yeah and, and it was because of that to make the iconic kind of Bigfoot movie not that this is I'm not going to go so far to say that this, this is the iconic movie but at least swing for the iconic Bigfoot movie it almost had to be purely about Bigfoot and really dig into like what makes Bigfoot cool and and all the mythology and the the true kind of uh evidence about Bigfoot for me, as, as like a,
3: a film fan, when I go to see a movie about Bigfoot, I want to see a movie about Bigfoot and not a complicated plot where it takes an hour to get to Bigfoot. You know, where, where we're still focused. I loved the simplicity of the story. I loved that these people, because even the way you introduced them in the opening credits with the very somber, amazing. I love the score to this. By uh, I am going to butcher. This. I don't
1: remember who scored um, it. Who scored this? And Nima, and I butcher his last name all the time also, so let's just call him Nima.
3: Nima, yeah. It's, it's this somber tone, and we're introduced to our characters over these these images of them, but we're not really given them because they're our window into this world. They're our door to this place, and I, I love that from frame one I knew, all right, this is Bigfoot's story, and you never get that enough with Bigfoot films because I've seen way too many <laughs> like there there's yeah. a lot of them and and a lot of them aren't very good or they're kind of disgusting yeah. exploitation films
1: yeah um, i mean i think the, the the big problem that i had with you know most bigfoot movies is that you know based on you know probably budget wise you know because very few people have like hundreds of thousands of dollars to dedicate to a suit which is what you know a suit like the suit and yeah. exists costs you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and it all it went all said and told mm-hmm. uh basically they skimp out on on the creature and the movies are really about mm-hmm. other things and then mm-hmm. bigfoot is just like a you know like a background like just the you know and it's really about you know the characters and stuff um i think partly because you know they don't i think a lot of them don't have a quality creature suit so i think what jamie was saying was right is that the idea that we're like, okay, we have a really good creature suit. You know, we knew we were going to have like the best creature suit in the business. We had already worked with Mike Elizalde and the guys at Spectral Motion. So we knew it was going to be top quality. So that's the premise that we set out with as far as writing the script. You know, we knew we were going to, ha- we weren't going to have to hide the creature. Um, You know, we've still, you know, you still have to use tricks because it- at the end of the day, it's still a guy in a suit. So you have to like, shoot it the right way you have to edit it the right way you have to use the the same you know the right angles and the right you know sound design but you know at the end of the day we we knew that we were going to be able to like you know really show off the creature so that was an advantage that we had that i think a lot of probably most other bigfoot movies you know don't have
2: yeah i I definitely think that's a nice part of it um because i i kind of got annoyed with a lot of other like bigfoot films that shy away from showing the creature use kind of like cheap tricks, even if they're an otherwise good film, I always hate the lack of commitment to actually showing it, which I know comes largely from a cost perspective and I get it, but like, that's why I want to see it.
1: Yeah. Like, like we like Jamie and I, you know, I'll be obviously everybody's a big fan of jaws, but we love the jaws, like show little bits of the creature until the end. Uh, model you know for for most of the things that we've done together but i mean the thing is is that if you're like you were saying like if you're gonna make a bigfoot movie you're gonna make a shark movie you're gonna make an alien movie like you said uh, most audience is gonna come in there to see bigfoot to see the shark to see the aliens you know so you can definitely hide it you know you can be strategic as far as like you know showing a little bit at a time and slowly revealing the the creature you know But I think for, you know, a good monster movie has to have a good monster, has to have a good payoff at the end. You know what I mean? So so that's, you know, that was what we Mm -hmm. started off with. It's like we got to have a good, you know, monster. And we can't shy away from Bigfoot on this one, you know?
0: Yeah, I I, I think a lot of people find this movie Mm -hmm. now. You know, it came out a few years ago. But, you know, obviously it wasn't like some huge blockbuster or something that played in cinemas for a while. I think they think when they pick it up and they say, I'll try this Bigfoot movie they expect that other thing. They expect more like the Willow Creek model or something where you're not going to see a Bigfoot. And all of a the sudden, they're getting all these yeah. Bigfoot mm-hmm. shots. And they're like, "And so I've, I've had a lot of reaction in the last, especially in the last couple years, people finding this movie. And they're just like, holy crap, Bigfoot is really in this movie. You know, he's he's jumping out at me all the time. He's like, he's really in this movie. So, um, you know, I, anyway, mm-hmm. I, I do think that's one of the things that separates us maybe from some of the other Bigfoot movies I've seen. I don't. I can't really think of one that I've seen that has as much. You know, Harry and the Hendersons, obviously. Uh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> sure, yeah.
0: There, yeah, there's one I can
3: think of, and it, it's it's called Night of the Demon. It's from like the early 80s. Oh, yeah, 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 of, yeah. Course. <laughs> of course. It is yep. a, a Bigfoot mm. exploitation film in every... Facet of the word, and it is a grimy, weird, but it's. I I believe the last 10 15 minutes of it are Bigfoot on full display in slow motion. Yep, and it's you know, it's absurd, but it's like cool, at least they gave it to us. Because I I watched Exists, and then I watched a bunch of other ones uh, that came out relatively around the same time. Because that was 2014 was a strange year for Bigfoot. In terms of like pop culture relevant, uh, uh, relevance, you had mm-hmm. yeah. uh, those Travel Channel shows and the Animal Planet shows and then Willow Creek, uh, like Bigfoot, the Lost Coast tapes exists. There was like this boom in Bigfoot. But uh, one of the things I, I adored about exists and um, it, it goes into what we were saying with, you know, you're going to show the creatures that you give Bigfoot so many amazing hero shots. Like uh, I think of the first time we get a, a glimpse of him in the night vision in the window with just the face and the screaming to uh, when he runs out of the smoke from the firecrackers at the end. Like I, I literally fist pump every time I watch Bigfoot emerge from the smoke, especially on like the big screen. It was such, it, it, it's such an amazing image because you have a Bigfoot, it's gigantic.
0: And then to see it on a 20, 30 foot screen, just center frame, pretty much. I remember when we, when you shot the, the smoke scene, cause I was standing right behind Ed, uh, when he shot that, that was one of the few days I was on the set watching, and it was actually really scary, like he, like, people in the crew would run away, like, there, it was it was actually really, do you remember that? It was kind of, because the guy's so big and he just comes, you know, thundering out of the smoke, and it was actually kind of scary to be on set that day. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was like one of those things where, like, we got this shot and, you know, it was, we were still, you know, we, we, uh, we were looking for the shot, we, you know, I, I wasn't happy with what we had, and um, and then, uh, it just worked out where he just came out of that smoke and yeah, I mean, it would like, yeah, you, you, you know, cause you'd be looking at the monitor, you know, I'd be looking at the monitor and then you know, looking at for the shot. And then every once in a while I would look to the side and I'd see, you know, this got this, you know, six foot seven <laughs> creature running after one of my actors, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was like. You know, there was like this level of, I mean, you know, obviously it was Brian Steele and, he, you know, we talked to him and we cast him and, you know, he was a very nice guy. But the, the, the suit and also Brian's acting was like so, uh, you know, like he really got into the, the character and like just the way his body moved that, um, you know, there was this level of like, man, that, you know, if ever there was a Bigfoot, that's what Bigfoot looks like. And actually, it was kind of funny because I had a crew member. Uh, come up to me and before this shoot, and he was like, hey, I've ever told you my Bigfoot story. So he told me his Bigfoot story where you know he was in the middle of nowhere with his ex-wife, and the, it was storming, and there was snow, and he saw this thing walk across the road, and he said there's no way it, could, it was a human because you know the, 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 we were like 20 miles from anything, you know what I mean? And in the middle of the night, freezing cold, mm-hmm. like, you know. And he was amazed by it. He needed, has no idea what it was still to this day. And then on the set, when Brian, you know, who played Bigfoot was it was the first day that he, you know, was shooting the guy, the crew member came up to me. He was like, you know, remember that Bigfoot story I told you? I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's exactly what I saw, <laughs> you know. So, so, you know, so there was like this level of like, OK, we're hanging out with, you know, Brian Steele and he's in a costume. He was in a Bigfoot suit, but there was there was this level of like, damn that thing looks like a freaking Bigfoot. That really looked like it. looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you kind of ignore the fact that you're on a set and you whatever, I you know, it looks like Bigfoot. We were actually we, we were toying with the idea of like, you know, sending Brian out to do some like you know like sightings with like real public, you know. But we were in tech We were shooting it in mm-hmm. Texas, so we were like, he would have been he would be shot immediately. <laughs> I mean they would have shot him immediately you know because he just looked I mean he he didn't look like a human I mean yeah. it really was a ama- movie
2: that last shot is amazing because like you give him like a full mm. close-up and it's oh, long yeah and it does not mm. look like a costume well that
1: was that was like we we actually tested the because I didn't know you know the ending of the film I think Jamie and I were we, we remember, Jamie. We rewrote that ending like twenty times.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, we had an action ending and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, like how do you
1: end this? You know. So we were like, all right, you know, what if the creature lets him live? You know, lets the person live and. And you kind of see that the creature sees that it's, you know, enough of this violence, you know, it's like not getting anywhere. And, you know, and I was like, all right, how am I going to shoot that? You know, whatever. And then we shot this uh, test footage with Brian Steele, the guy in the Bigfoot suit for the first time. We shot it in in, really in the parking lot of Spectral Motion, which is like this company near L.A. and looks like the most kind of non-woodsy area you could think of. And we did this little test reel and the camp, you know, I-, I just told the cameraman, like, just go as tight as you can and just see what we can do. See what we can get away with. And it was basically Brian's the Bigfoot, like eating, pretending to eat things off the floor and kind of scavenging around and walking around. And we just kind of, te- you know, just to test what the suit looked like on film. And, we got the footage back and we were like holy crap we can go all the way into a you know a extreme close up and it still works you know and that's why brian's performance really kind of let us kind of tell this nonverbal story at the end of the movie that, you know, really kind of humanizes the creature the way that I don't think he's ever been humanized in mm-hmm. any. And that's really what I was most proud of, you know, is that how emotional and how, how we could, you know, how Brian brought that performance and we were able to kind of tell Bigfoot's story, you know, um, in, in as much of, of a human way as possible.
3: I actually think the film plays so much better the second time when you know what Bigfoot is going through and i know that might sound ridiculous to a person walking by but i mean there is like a full emotional arc this is this is bigfoot's death wish right like it's it's going full charlie bronson and but i love that they they hit its its child it dies and that first night that they're at the cabin you can hear it it's mourning, and it's 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 crying and Mm -hmm. you know the first time you're watching it you don't really know what happened and for most of the movie, you just assume that they hit it and it's pissed off, and then the violence. And then the second time through, it, it's so understandable. And it's it's you're watching these kids, and I can imagine Bigfoot because this is what I do when I watch films, you know, especially ones I enjoy that kind of spark the imagination. It's I was thinking off frame, and it's like, what is Bigfoot doing? He's watching these kids laugh as you know this it's child lays dying, and it's like you can feel like the anger building off screen, and then it's just this unleashing. I root for Bigfoot only because I can't imagine the pain of, you know, what it was going through. and It's it's stunning that you get that through the sound, uh, because the sound design in this is wonderful, from just how overwhelming nature is to Bigfoot's mournful cries, to uh, the way you present the violence. And then, you know, Bigfoot presented these strong attacks, kind of barely seen, to the intimacy of the ending when it's just broad daylight. They're in each other's faces.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, and, and, and the the sound design was done by the same guys that did the Lovely Molly sound design, uh, which is actually mm. a, a local place. And actually now they have offices and they have a studio in, L, in L.A. too. They're they're really oh getting God. huge. They're now. awesome. But uh, they are local guys here that started in, in uh, Maryland, and the recordist was Matt Davies, and he built this, what do you call it, Damien? Like the
0: Sasquatchaphone or something? The yeah. yeah, something like it was made out of plumbing <laughs> parts. Yeah, it
1: was like a kind of a yeah, weird yeah, there's actually a video somewhere, I think, on the exist site or somewhere on the Facebook page or something of him playing it, but um you know, just make this noise and that you know, and that's what like to me like you know sound is so important mm-hmm. you know in film especially in horror films mm-hmm. and uh and it was great to have like you know these guys really like dedicate themselves and like you know matt is like an artist with the adr with the uh you know foley work and he really you know he just brought this creature um to life and we worked a lot with the vocalizations and just kind of what sounds it makes and uh you know it was just a really cool collaboration but yeah like to me like half the scariest part of bigfoot is are the sounds you know what i mean that people you know supposedly have recorded or whatever so because that's to me it's like that's scary because your imagination you know is kind of filling in the gaps and i think that's scarier than probably anything we could show you so um yeah the sound you know obviously was really important in the film
2: absolutely how did they make the decide on the design for the costume and for the design can you tell me about the process of that and also how they designed the, the the kid
1: yeah um it was like we were uh we started off with actually with Weta from New Zealand uh, and and because like this, like kind of what Jamie and I were both talking about is that this whole kind of Bigfoot existing had like a kind of a history, you know, like we eventually landed on this movie. But it was like two or three, almost probably four years in the making, actually, since we did Lovely Molly, because Mark Ordesky and Jane Fleming, who produced Lovely Molly, especially Mark, was like a huge big Bigfoot geek just like me. And we were, as soon as we met, you know, After when we were doing Lovely Molly, it was like, we got to do a Bigfoot movie, you know, like that's, you know, that was our life goal, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, we started with Weta because Mark had some connections through with Weta through Lord of the Rings. And they, you know, and it was, this is for like the bigger budget version of the movie. Um, and then I don't know how eventually Spectral Motion got involved. I don't know if Weta bowed out or something. I don't know. It it just kind of the, 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 we started, we kind of switched to spectral motion, at least for some of the designs and they, um, you know, they started sending me stuff. And, and the, for us, it was, like, the idea of, like, Bigfoot being, you know, kind of a missing link between humans and some other, you know, Neanderth, some, some other kind of, you know, ape or some kind of gorilla or something, something in the, you know, lost in the evolutionary chain. Mm-hmm. But definitely, like, you know, human qualities. And so we didn't want it to be, like, too monster-like. And, and we decided pretty early on that it was just going to be prosthetics on top of, like, an actor, that it wasn't going to be, like, animatronic movement of the mouth and stuff, which, you know, looks cool, but definitely gives it like an un like kind of an unnatural quality, which I think works, you know, for certain things. But for us on this, we wanted something very natural. We wanted, you know, Mm -hmm. we Motion immediately was like, you gotta get Brian Steele to do this. He's like, you know, six seven and he's played Bigfoot before. Like he's just the, you know, kind of like the big suit guy. And then we started, you know, Brian started sending us videos of him, his walks, you know, his just basically him running and walking like mm-hmm. Bigfoot in his backyard. And then we kind of desi- figured out the design, you know, kind of making it more human. And they started building the suit. And I guess a few, maybe probably six months, maybe five months before we started shooting the movie, um, we, you know, we went to L.A. and... Brian got into the suit for the first time. That's the first time we had seen him in action. And we were, like, so overjoyed. Like, it was just, you know, I always hoped that the suit was going to be, like, you know, as good as I thought it was going to be. Because you always hope that, obviously, for you're working on stuff. But I I had no, I, I, I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to get, like, clo- super close-ups for, like, long right. takes. You know, like, I thought. Yeah, I, I'll probably be able to do close-ups for a few seconds and then have to cut away. But when I saw that, um, you know, that suit, it was just kind of an amazing thing because we knew that we were going to be able to to really tell the story of this creature. But that was kind of the, the design, the, the you know, the, the story of the idea of, like, making it so that Brian, the actor inside, could move and could express himself and put in a performance and, uh, and then just kind of sticking to, like, you know, what we thought this creature was if, if it really existed, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely see that too, that, that ethos in how you kind of add kind of a mythos to the creature because we I mean yes. we have to guess what a Bigfoot would be like. And I like the way that the film gives it intelligence and understandable motive and vengeful guerrilla warfare Bigfoot. It's intense and it's menacing and it's smart. And that makes it all the scarier. And I I like the way it suggests almost like yeah. uh, a culture, even though we okay. don't understand it per se. And that's the way it adds to the mythos. Like by, by contrast, I, I like the film Willow Creek, right? But what it adds to Bigfoot is that forest bride thing, which I'm so uncomfortable <laughs> with conceptually. And I, I like that this went in a direction of like, no, you killed its kid. And it is going to Art of War you. And then that scene where all of its victims are literally just laid out in front of. That is so fucked up and intense. And the sense of ritual
3: with like the baby Bigfoot or the child Bigfoot in what looks to be like the rib cage of like an adult Bigfoot. Like it's it's the sense of ritual, the sense of, yeah, like a burgeoning culture.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. Jamie and I were always, like, you know, the idea of, like, making it, I mean, not as intelligent as humans, obviously, but definitely right. probably more intelligent than any other animal out there, you know? There's, like, an emotional intelligence to it. Yeah, and also there's, like, the, and there's, like, like traditions there's like kind of the you know he, it uses tools like it definitely like a culture developing you
0: know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah. and, um, like the upside and down was, tree and the nest yeah. and yes. things like that.
2: Yeah. yes mm-hmm. right so like it strikes me as uh i mean obviously it's not neanderthal but but almost like a neanderthal like in terms of like level of development yeah so this like interesting proto-human that's much more than a beast mm-hmm. but it does have that beastly strength
1: yeah yeah because i think Jamie and I were both really careful about like not making it an exploitative kind of experience. You know what I mean? We're like, obviously, we're making a horror movie about Bigfoot, so you're going to have Bigfoot probably killing some people. And our whole thing was like, we got to give it a reason. We have to kind of give it like a human because because you know the logic is like, okay, if Bigfoot exists, then it basically does a it really does a great job of staying away from humans. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it does not it rarely gets into trouble with humans like you know you don't hear like a bigfoot attack on a housing complex or you know or you know they they basically run away from humans and that's what their big thing is just hide you know Mm -hmm. so for us it was like you better have a really good reason for a creature like bigfoot to come out and like try to you know and risk you know being discovered by attacking humans you know even if they're in an isolated cabin like that's a big step for this thing that has never it's never done anything like this so i feel like that was important because because we wanted it to be more than just a killing machine, but you know, it was a horror movie, so we needed obviously some deaths in there and some kind of excitement. So we we kind of wanted to justify all the the action and kind of like you were saying, like do like the you know the Bigfoot version of Death Wish. You know,
3: that's what struck me like the first time going through because you're so used to you know Bigfoot's typically used as just Jason Voorhees. You know, when he appears in films, or it's the child finds a Bigfoot and they become friends. Like those are. Usually, what you get. So as the film unfolded, and the first time through, and then even more the second time when you know what's happening, every single one of those beats land. It's I feel bad for everybody on like all sides of the equation, you know, because you also present us with characters who are just they don't know, you know, like they just stumbled into the worst possible situation. And I like that you don't have them. You don't have the one person who just goes off. We have to eradicate them all. You know, it's just everyone's just scared and everyone's angry and everyone's just reacting
2: right like the uh a a lot of the protagonist characters are just like like they expected a nice little cabin Mm -hmm. retreat Um, and they're like wait uh i'm i'm sorry we're here what now and Mm -hmm. you knew there was maybe a thing oh so like they're literally innocent
3: yeah guilty of just wrong place wrong times just a horrible accident It it really is the
1: ultimate revenge movie as far as I'm concerned.
3: (laughs) What other movie do you get, Bigfoot? Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. And And that's, you know, like, we definitely wanted to make something that was, you know, that we hadn't seen before. You know what I mean? And I think the simplification of the characters and the fact that they were you know mostly innocent i mean you know they were they made mistakes and everything but they were there wasn't anything uh there wasn't like any big sin i mean other than you know being careless and running over the the you know the cub you know they were just kind of playing around like innocently falling into this bad situation you know what i mean like like Mm -hmm. there's really nobody there's nobody at fault really you know it's just it was an accident and then the the kind of the creature lost it and couldn't take it it's it's funny that you mentioned that one time the thing about like that you were imagining the creature like watching them laugh and stuff and i had i had never thought about that i mean that's that's actually a really great point because like these humans have just killed this thing's kid and now like you know he you know he's watching them or she's watching them because we never really tell you know the the uh the sex of the bigfoot Mm -hmm. um and they're like they're enjoying themselves you know they're jumping off you know they're playing in the water and jumping off you Mm -hmm. know uh, listening to music and you know just jumping with bikes and just having all this great time you know and um yeah i I never thought about it that way that's that's a good point like the idea of like the how enraged and how how you know that that was like they they were innocently kind of provoking it
2: right yeah and I, I do think that you, you kind of see that in the performance, too, because in that scene where, like, the friends are laid out ritualistically, and then yeah. he's, like, shoving the face in the basic yes. grave, you know? Yeah. It's basically yeah. like a, like, look what you've done. And so yeah. there's a clear cognition of, you've been callous, do the math, this is why this is happening.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and that was definitely the intention of that final scene, is the idea that, like, this thing is trying to teach you a lesson, you know, it's trying to say, look what you, you know, exactly what you said, look what you did. And it was cool that, you know, like that, um, you know, we were able to get a lot of that just through the performances and the and the camera work and, and Brian's performance. And because, um, you know, there's a lot of subtle stuff in there that is, is tough to, to put on, to, to communicate on, you know, sometimes on film. And it's really cool when the audience is kind of picking up on things like that.
2: Yeah, this is why, like, I'm, I'm so impressed with talented creature performers, because they have to some, communicate so much with sometimes, like, no words, just context and body language. And they have to embody something that isn't human, but is still relatable. And it's so impressive to me. Oh,
3: yeah. That scene at the end over um, the guy's shoulder, uh, last time you see big, if you just see the chunk that's been torn out of it from, like, it being shot Yeah. It's emotionally drained, physically messed up. Our human character is emotionally drained, physically messed up. They're both grieving. They're both tired. And I love just everything is there in that shot. You can see it on their face, the body language. Like, Brian fucking killed it, right? Like, just the way he moves and and just resigns to what's done is done. This is over. I have to go back home. And it's all there. And it's absolutely, like, the last thing I was expecting in a Bigfoot attacks movie was Bigfoot to Heaven. And for me to maybe be more invested in Bigfoot than I was the human characters. Because it's, it's like the more I see the film, the more it just, like, I, I just can't stop thinking about what Bigfoot's doing. Just out there watching in the morning, you know. And the hints of culture uh, you give it, the hints of ritual and emotional intelligence just, it makes it even more fascinating. Like, I would almost love, like, a sequel to just dive into not so much a retaliatory hunt but like a more academic study. I just, I, I found your hintings of the creature to be uh, more fascinating than anything I've ever seen in like a, a cryptid film.
1: Well, thanks, man. Um, it was, uh, you know, it was for both Jamie and me, it was like, you know, it was definitely like a labor of love, you know, the, mm-hmm. of this. Creature that we really respect, you know, and we're, let's not try to get into the discussion of like, you know, whether it's real or not, or whether I believe it or not, or whether, you know, you believe it or not. Like, for me, it's like, it's just it's so much more than that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, and it was something that I grew up with, and I grew up, you know, almost like, religious you know what I mean I was talking to you guys about how earlier how like Bigfoot was such a huge part of my childhood you know like it was I I was religious when I was young but like it kind of grew out I grew out of it in my you know late teens early 20s but the the religion of Bigfoot like I still am uh you know a a follower of the religion of, of Bigfoot you know what I mean like and you know for for Jamie and I this was like it was like making a a movie about you know, I wouldn't say you're our messiah, but our, like, you know, our, this thing that we, you know, that, that we respected and we really, that we both loved. I mean, we really did both love Sasquatch and the Bigfoot, you know, the, the whole culture and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, we just tried to make a, as respectful of a version of that character as possible. And, and you're right, like, mm-hmm. for us, the whole time, the creature was always the main character, you know what I mean? It was always
0: the the principle in the film, you know, it's just like, Ed, you know, I, I grew up in search of was like a, a real thing to me. Like when I saw Mm -hmm. those in search of documentaries as a kid, I, I didn't have a discerning mind. I just thought that everything basically Leonard Nimoy said was real, you know? So, um, yeah. And that's the scariest things to me, haunted houses, uh, aliens, (laughs) UFOs. Um, and luckily I've got to make, I made a little bit of each of those things, uh, you know, writing wise. So I've been lucky to do that. But one thing I was going to mention was when we started to do Exist, it was at the very beginning of kind of the squatching. I wouldn't say the boom, because I'm sure that's been around for a while. But I I remember the producer that approached us to do the first Exist project, the one that existed before the movie you saw. He was somehow in touch with that Bobo guy that ended up on Finding Bigfoot. Um, And uh, (laughs) this was before they had a TV show. Uh, so I, I remember, um, he said, "Yeah, this is guy. I can't remember his name. I think it's Bobo." And I was like, "Bobo, you know?" And maybe we can do an interview with him and figure some stuff out. But I remembered um, he was relating to me orally, just verbally on the phone, uh, some of his techniques and stuff, like um, like going out in the woods and and playing recordings out into the woods and just blasting them in the air and stuff. And again, this was before the show or anything like that. So this mm-hmm. was just kind of digging into some. Some groups that were around. Before we did This Exists, I I know I had done a really deep dive into all of that stuff, you know, like every Mm -hmm. new thing and piece of DNA and this and that, and uh, all the theories and things like that. Strangely enough, I'm not sure how many of those I actively uh, or Ed actively put into this. So both the in search of stuff from years ago, and then the modern stuff that was sort of just starting to emerge when we were writing these things. Yeah. Um, it kind of was a molding of both of those sides, you know, the old and the new in some ways.
2: Yeah, I, I have to say that I love your ethos for mm-hmm. your approach to the material and and the character of Bigfoot, because it's, it's very similar in, into my approach with this show, with everything that we focus on. Uh, cause at, you can ask Andrew, as I've said multiple times, uh, this is a pro monster podcast. Every episode I take the stance of like, oh, if, if it's a movie or whatever, we're going to assume that the monster is the hero <laughs> and that's who we're rooting for. First of all. And second, um, when it deals with folklore or things like cryptids or religion, you know, it's, it's the same sort of stance you take with Bigfoot where it's like, uh, I, I treat try and treat them all like a, I don't know if they're true or not, but I'm going to treat them as though they, you know, they could be.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was exactly our approach, is the idea that, I, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument about whether Bigfoot exists or not, but if it did exist, you know, what world would it live in? You know, like, how does, you know, how, and again, like, we kind of broke it down, like, how powerful should it be? You know I mean? It shouldn't, I mean, it should be definitely more powerful than a grown man, but, you know, it's not like superhuman, where like it can lift a car over its head or something. You know, like there are <laughs> limits to what it can do, and you know and it could probably run a little faster than humans. Um, you know, kind of like you know, we 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 always treated it like like if imagine if it had like gorilla, like gorilla strength. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more gorilla. So and and everything like you know, even like where you know the the idea that it was in East Te- you know East Texas where you know, kind of close to the, to the, you know, to Arkansas where, mm-hmm. you know, Boggy Creek and like, there's this whole kind of, that actually I didn't just, disc- cause, cause our whole thing was like the original exist movie was like, where was it? Like somewhere in Russia. Right. That was, uh, yeah. It's so like Siberia. Siberia. And it, and kind That's of exactly something. what you said is the idea that like, it was a basic, basically it's like a scientific journey to, you know, to look for this thing. And, you know, obviously all hell breaks loose our whole thing is that we always wanted to treat it like it was real. Like it really lived in our reality. So everything that it did had to be, you know, based on, on our reality. And that's why, you know, it does kind of superhuman things, but it doesn't do like super, superhuman things. Like it can't fly and it doesn't, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's an animal, you know, it's a basically an animal. So, right. Um, yeah. And it's, and exactly what you, like the, way you said it's like, we, treated it like it was real you know like every aspect of it is real like what kind of culture does it have what kind of intelligence does it have a language you know it obviously has feelings for you know for its cub you know like would it kill for its cub you know what i mean like most Mm -hmm. most you know most parents would defend their child until death you know what i mean so you know it was a kind of like a universal theme that we injected into this creature and uh you know and that's how we kind of developed the story around it
2: Right, right, and it definitely like gives it a relatability mm-hmm. that you don't expect it to have, where it's like, oh, oh, that's what ha- you're
0: you're fucked <laughs> like yeah. It's, yeah, it has relatable motives. It's funny. I was on a Bigfoot podcast not too long ago, and for this, you know, they loved exist, and <laughs> the whole podcast it was probably the worst interview of all time because they just they just spent the whole interview basically going through the movie and then saying how accurate that was to their theory of bigfoot <laughs> you know and and i didn't really have any answers for i was just like well i kind of made it up or whatever you know i did some research and wrote it. Yeah, um and they were like how did you you know that bike scene how he approached him and he tracked him he ran really fast and he looked at you know that's exactly how it happened. how did you come up with that you know and i was like well i Ed not, ed had this idea for a bike scene and you know i kind of wrote some twists <laughs> you know but um yeah but they went through the whole thing like like the part where he was uh where Brian was knocked out he was trying to wake him up you know he's playing yeah. playing possum and he's trying to wake him up and they're like they were like you know fascinated by that so they were like that's exactly what happens that you know incidents are exactly and they went through like the entire movie like this like like literally from beginning to end and I was, I was, I was like, so much kind of cool. No, yeah, I was like, this is kind of cool, but I, I didn't really have it. It was more fun for me <laughs> than them.
2: I think. If you, if I were you, I would have, I would have just leaned yeah. into it. I would have been like, I know what happened was we found a Bigfoot, so we we're like hanging out with Bigfoot over tea <laughs> for a couple weeks. <laughs> I, I, yeah,
0: it's, it's funny. I kind of kept riffing on these behind the scenes stories, right? I kind of kept going off in these directions, but they kept pulling me <laughs> back to like how it was exactly. Like what bigfoot was really doing it was super cool but um no i love it i love it 100 percent. Yeah, and,
1: and that's and like really that's kind of you know for me that's like the most you know that i that that's another thing that i love about the movie is that that's exactly what we wanted we wanted the you know we wanted this to be a movie because i know that you know like the bigfoot audience the bigfoot fans have like a love hate relationship with the movies because you know they want they have you know they want. To the, the creature to be respected and usually it's just like a monster it's mindless mm-hmm. or you know, whatever and um and i think jamie and i set out you know early on to say let's let's try to make a movie that these guys are going to love that you know treats Big, doesn't treat bigfoot like a mindless monster but treats him as more of like what you know what us fans think it is you know what i mean right and i think that's why people appreciate that you know it's because we did we you know we approached it not we approach Bigfoot by of not being a monster but just being an animal that had been wrong and what would that animal do to you know the 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 people that he thought wronged it you know so um I you know that's that's one of the things like when I see like Bigfoot people reach out to me and you know they say oh Bigfoot's you know exists my favorite movie it's the best Bigfoot movie whatever and it's the most you know you know realistic Uh, that to me that's that was our main goal yeah
2: Absolutely. I think it really comes out. It's really apparent, too, how much care you, you put on, because I was just
3: thinking about the bike scene, which is one of the best sequences in the film, but how that mimics the, uh, was it the Patterson? I always want to say Gimli, but I know that's Lord of the Rings. Gimlin? Yeah.
0: Gimlin, I think. Yeah. The, uh,
3: just from the way it's moving, all the little nods to the famous, you know, uh, like, it throws rocks at the cabin at one point, doesn't it? Isn't That's yeah. like a huge... That's a huge part of the oh, bigfoot yeah. mythos is that they throw rocks.
2: That scene freaked me out a bit because yeah. I'm like, "Oh God, you're done."
1: Yeah, that, that's the whole thing, man. Is that those those yeah. uh, the the protagonists are just done, man? And you're and, and if you know anything about bigfoot, you know that there's not going to be any kind of escape. Like they are just no. so at its mercy, you know.
2: Yeah, and then it yeah. only lets yeah. the guy go at the end because it was obvious that he was broken. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and and, and, and yeah, and, and and to me,
1: like it was done killing. It was like done. I've made my point. You know, like this is not by killing this guy is not going to make me feel any better. You know what I mean? I made my point. exactly. Yeah. exactly.
3: It's such a wonderful just thing at the end, and especially the smash cut to the uh, title. I just find that like uh, it, it just it's such an exclamation point on the um, like the whole point of the movie. It's just it's like that last little punch you get is just that ending is is such a pitch perfect because that has to be the trouble with. Um, particularly found footage because they tend to end in one way and uh, I love that you didn't give us that one way
1: yeah no I mean I mean you know Exist was the like the first found footage movie I had done since Blair Witch and you know I I was like really um, hesitant to do a lot of found footage after Blair Witch because you know we didn't want to be like kind of the the one trick pony kind of filmmakers you know and also you know we we felt like the found footage for Blair Witch was you know it was necessary for the movie like it, the style came out of the story of the movie and actually when we were right remember Jamie when we were writing exists it was actually not going to be found footage and then about halfway into the writing process we were kind of like you know like Bigfoot really only exists in found mm-hmm. footage you know like Patterson Gimblin film is like the ultimate found footage movie, you know, and so and then we when we switched to found footage, it seemed like a lot of things started coming together. Um, but but, you know, found footage had had evolved since Blair Witch, you know, and, and it was what fi- almost 15 years after Blair Witch. So, you know, we decided to kind of make it, you know, with Blair Witch, it was all about like super reality, you know, like there was nothing in the movie that showed that it was not real for exists, we had, you know, we'd been already down the Cloverfield Road and the Wreck Road and, you know, all those movies that had lit, they were lit and they had music. Some, you know, some of the found footage had music. And so we kind of embraced the whole like new kind of more cinematic version of found footage and kind of used it to its advantages, but also kind of bring in music and more sound design and kind of make it a little bit more of a cinematic experience. And for us, it was like we, you know, we wanted to do something. We wanted to make a kind of a convent a normal like like a normal movie ending not a found footage ending. Mm-hmm. and we kind of you know we kind of came up with a, an amalgam of it but you know and yeah real happy with the ending and again Nima's score score um, you know just like it just kind of solidified things it, it brought everything together it made things make sense it made that last scene make sense you know it was like it's mournful in a way you don't expect yeah really mournful yeah yeah, yeah. very emotional
3: you know and uh One of the things I I had fun with the last time I watched this prep for this episode was um, when, you know, we hit the credits. The thing I thought was, uh, I believe the character's name is Brian. So not to confuse with the actor who plays Bigfoot. Yeah. They went to go get an awesome YouTube video. And I totally watched this movie as if someone cut together the world's most bitching YouTube video. Like it's, he got his footage, he cut it together and, and, you know, music was added. and, And I personally preferred that you didn't go for like the raw feel. Um, because then part of me is just like a cynical human being and film film watcher just starts picking apart the realism. So when you introduce us with music right away and like a stylized editing style, it allows me to go okay, I'm in a movie and then when you hit me with these particular moments like certain shots, as a viewer I kind of chuckle myself because I'm like I was giving into the reality of it. Like damn you, you did it, you know. <laughs>
1: Well, that's cool. I'm glad it worked for you. I mean, every bit of, of film is fake. You know? right, it's yes. just fiction. It's actors and it's, you know, people behind the camera. And there is that little bit, you know, there's that little bit of magic that somehow lets us get taken into that world and completely believe it and go along for the ride. You know, if you can do it in a new way, it's always, you know, really rewarding. And I mean, you know, we, we wish the, the film would have done better and had a wider release and mm-hmm. you know been more successful. But as far as like feedback from the mm-hmm. fans and you know, won an audience award at South by Southwest, and I mean, it's you know, it's been very positive for us, and and especially among the Bigfoot uh, community, you know, like they really do love this movie, and they and they you know, and they respect how we made it, mm-hmm. which was not not treating Bigfoot like most movies do as just a monster, but you know, making him a a character and uh, working working from that angle, not starting with a monster, but mm-hmm. starting with something that you know that is a, a, like a real creature, you know, not not just a bloodthirsty thing, you know.
2: One thing that I do want to do is is every episode I like to kind of take a, a contextual side, digging into kind of some of the background of the entity that we're dealing with in folklore and, and in, in history, you know, and uh, and Bigfoot in particular is a really exciting one to do that with because as we talked about, we both have it kind of in our yeah. cultural ethos in the background growing up. And, and it's really interesting because the whole concept of a man-like ape or an ape-like man or this like wild man thing is conceptually been in so many cultures, all the way from you know North American tribes to Nepal and Tibet to Mesopotamia. The very first written work that we have like passed down to us is the Epic of Gilgamesh and Enkidu is a hairy wild man.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, it, it's and that's and that's the thing that is so fascinating about it is that you know you can make all these re, you know you can come up with all these logical reasons of, of why you know there's no Bigfoot it couldn't couldn't exist there's the human population you know we would have found a, a you know a carcass mm-hmm. by now we would have found remains by now um, and you can say yeah you're right you know that logically doesn't make sense but then you look back and you're like okay how the hell were all these legends across different continents and you know that the fact that there's just these stories of wild, hairy men, you know, these creatures, these wild men. And and also the idea that, like, reputable people that are not, you know, like the the guy who, you know, Jeff, who who, who told me his Bigfoot story on the set of Exist. Like, that guy had no reason to lie to me. He obviously saw something. Was it maybe a bear? I mean, you know, you start to kind of logically think of, you know, this guy is a hunter. He knows, you know, the difference between a bear and a deer and a Bigfoot, you know. So... Um, you know, there, there's this thing of like, oh, I can't exist. But then you look back and, and the more research you do, you realize that, well, there's something going right. on here. You know, something is being seen, especially like the Native Americans, you know, because that, that's part of the, what I love also, the idea of like going back in time and examining like before the white man completely took over North America, like, you know, what what were the uh, Native Americans' relationships to, to Sasquatch and to these creatures? You know, like that's really something that, I, if, I, I mean, I hope to be able to make more Bigfoot movies, and that's kind of where I would love to head is do period pieces about interactions with these creatures. But yeah, man, that's what's fascinating about it is the idea that, like, it is a monster, you know, and, and you know, it, it was probably, you know, in the end, it was probably created just, you know, out of to scare kids or mm-hmm. to do something, but there is something that that factual about it that you can't, like, completely dismiss, and that's the fascinating thing about Bigfoot, you know?
3: It feels real in a way that the Loch Ness Monster doesn't. You know, it feels possible that even, like, I look up at uh, uh, Gamble State Park with like the mountain. Like, I doubt that there's a Snallygaster up there, but a Bigfoot, yeah, potentially. Like, it, it's real in a way, intangible in a way. Because, you know, when we think of aliens, it could be anything, but when you think of a Bigfoot, right. it's a yeah. fairy man.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, and also the idea that, you know, that we, that it's probably, if it's real, it's some kind of, cousin of ours you know
2: right because there there were so many uh hominids you know there are so many different evolutionary yep. branches of of what became our species of which we are the only one we yep. know about that survived but neanderthals being the one that everybody knows existed but there were at least a dozen
1: yeah, 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 absolutely, and that's yeah, and that's that's the way we always kind of treated it is that it was an offshoot that you know evolutionarily went dead, went almost extinct, but there's still this like you know, there's these still little pockets of these of these uh you know of these creatures, you have know, these tribes, you know.
2: Totally, it's really interesting too because like you have um you have some references in the Old Testament, you have first century Roman Pliny the Elder describing creatures in India that. Are, are furry and can't speak, but they otherwise look human. You have medieval European myth about living beings in the woods that that meet this sort of description. I found some interesting terminology uh, info too. So like the, the, the term abominable snowman resulted when Lieutenant Colonel Charles Howard Burry mistranslated this word of mito, which I'm probably butchering, as... Uh, It means man bear, but he mistranslated as filthy. And that became eventually the Abominable Snowman and the popular (laughs) thing that has fallen out of favor in terms of Yeti, which was actually more akin to what the indigenous people in that area had used. And then you have Sasquatch came into prominence in in the West in the the 20s and 30s based off of stories from um, this uh, person, John Burns, uh, some of his students on the Chehalis Indian Reservation in British Columbia, and that's how we absorbed the the term Sasquatch, which had been used uh, from that tribe. And then Bigfoot came from the 50s with this California logger, Jerry Crew. There had been some thefts and worksite disturbances that were connected to unnaturally large footprints, and people began to write about Bigfoot as two words, and then later that year, a different columnist wrote it as one word, and that kind of stuck. Right. And so it's so interesting how these concepts come from their original cultures with this long historical background and they kind of feed their way into, for us, like our popular nomenclature. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. I, I remember the Siberian story. I, I don't know how to pronounce these things, but I think the, the, the creature was an almus or something like that. And um, they, they mm-hmm. had, <clears throat> they mm-hmm. had legends that the creature would come to town, hang out in the tavern. And had, had children that lived in the small villages and things like that. So they, they had all kinds of, um, <laughs> you know, different, different types. And they'd like have things like if you go to those villages to this day, they might have like the skull of it sitting in the, in the main, you know, tavern or something encased that you could go <laughs> and check it out. So they have all kinds of uh, weird stuff. I genuinely
2: want all of that to be true. Yeah, yeah right <laughs> right right
0: I, I was I was always fascinated too by Teddy Roosevelt because he he wrote in one of his books he had a whole uh, bigfoot story about i don't I don't think it was yeah. his I think it was a second per you know secondhand story about somebody he had hunted with um, but he was always fascinated me he actually <laughs> he led a hunt in Frederick for the Snallygaster, which is little known, but you can find like articles. <laughs> um like a, kids were being taken or a kid went missing and they thought they they said they had trapped the snallygaster in this woods and he went he led a hunt and, and it's in the newspapers um and, uh, but i i never found i always wanted to write a movie about that i always i always thought that oh, would make, yes. that'd make a great like graphic novel or something
2: how have i not heard of a freaking snallygaster like i was a nerd for. Uh, man, you
1: gotta come to maryland yeah it's like a, it's a like local it, thing yeah it's, it's like a
0: giant pterodactyl okay, kind of thing. okay like a bat creature dragon thingy that yeah, like, yeah
2: like it,
3: a, it flies yeah it flies the mountain range over here and yeah I think it, it, it's it's like left over from because this is like a heavily uh German populated at least when it started mm-hmm. area and it just kind of came over from like old German folk
0: I, I have a friend that has a really good Snallygaster script. Not about Teddy Roosevelt, but about oh, the Snallygaster in general. It's kind of got a silly name, though. It doesn't sound scary. Snallygaster. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that maybe that's why I didn't carry over. Because, like,
2: the Pacific Northwest has tons of cryptids in its, like, regional mythos. But that one never really kind of came over. No. Because <laughs> it's got the name. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's the thing. It's like, it's got to have a cool name.
2: <laughs> yeah, like, El Chupacabra <laughs> is cool, you know? Yeah, that's a yeah. cool
0: name. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's why Spring-Heeled Jack never had got a movie, you know, yeah, or something. Yeah.
2: A- <laughs> I don't know that one. And they're like, oh, well, what is, what is Spring-Heeled Jack? Oh, it's got, I don't know, Spring-Heels. does the murdering <laughs> yeah. stuff. I've
3: always loved the Aswong because it's, like, one of the most disturbing vampire myths from around the world. But its name, as spelled,
1: looks like ass wings, so nobody apparently does anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's got to have a good name, man. It's all, you know, marketing, you know, it's all.
2: Yeah, I feel like a lot of these cryptids really need to work on their branding.
0: Right. I, I well I mean Bigfoot, I would argue, could have been silly if it but somehow it it you know carried forth uh so I yeah mean, I mean, Big, I, bigfoot I, then, yeah you know it's not not a great
1: well but yeah yeah, but also i think i mean but that's kind of interesting too, and it's a, the idea that like Bigfoot was really kind of became a joke, you know, and it's still kind of a joke, but there was still like this you know this kind of uh kind of a fan base mm-hmm. that still kind of keeps it. You know, in, in the way mm. we looked at it, you know, the way we we as a monster, it's something scary is something mysterious. And even though, you know, I love Harry and the Hendersons and I love, you know, the the Sasquatch, you know, the uh, the the those commercials where they kind of make Slim fun of Jim. whatever they. Um, yeah. Yeah. The Slim Jim commercials. To me, it's still like, you know, the original creature is still, you know, it's, it's yeah. still terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
3: I mean, it's one of the great pieces of iconography, you know, for the late 20th century, especially. What from like the '50s on really is when like the Bigfoot mania kind of took hold. Yeah, it's simply
1: recognizable. And you know what? And you know what? I think the diff the thing about Bigfoot that that like really why it caught on. And you, we were talking about Loch Ness, like why you know Loch Ness monster obviously is not as popular. And even aliens, like they're you know they're popular, but there's nothing. There's there's rarely like any kind of evidence mm-hmm. that you can you know point to. And Bigfoot had the tracks, dude. Yep. Yep. Those tracks, like, to me, even though, you know, some of them look fake as shit, but, like, to me, the idea that, holy shit, you're standing next to a place where these, this creature walked, and the whole tracks thing, to me, was, like, a really great piece of, like, evidence to me, like, that, that I think was the difference between, like, why Bigfoot has kind of lived on is the idea that there is, there is evidence, you know, there is this evidence, this weird evidence of these feet that, you know, no human right. has, you know, that I think pushed forward that whole idea of like, yeah, man, that's, this is real. This is, you know, this is reality, you know, it's, it's, and it's almost like something like, I remember like one of my, I never went out, but my partner, Greg Hale, one of our partners, he was a big, Bigfoot fan. He, he used to actually go out into the woods and create his own tracks, you know, to sure. with <laughs> people and stuff. So, but that idea, like, you know, like I, I just love that, you know, it just kind of, uh, you know, it, it brought like a new, it was like a new dimension mm-hmm. to that. You know, to that creature that none of the other creatures had. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's
3: like because you could go to a museum and look at a track or touch a piece of Bigfoot fur, and it's it's tangible in a way that like we all saw a ghost video, but we weren't there to see the ghost. You know.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and I would say too, like in in regions that have these like local folklore elements. I mean, yeah, okay. If you go to like Eastern Washington or especially Oregon. You can find like Bigfoot mugs at every, literally every gas station, you know? So there's that commercialization, which is kind of goofy. But on the other hand, even though everyone knows that's goofy, everybody knows a guy who knows a guy that has a story. And so there's like a level of respect and that's why it's so widespread. And you don't want to like admit like, I believe there's a Sasquatch somewhere here. But you kind of at least like entertain it.
3: At least speaking for myself as a child of the East Coast, there was always something kind of primal and magical about the Pacific Northwest. It's, you know, the, the way I saw it as a kid, it was a place out of time. You know, if I wanted to, yeah. if I wanted to see a dinosaur, it'd probably be in the Pacific Northwest somewhere. And, and, and Bigfoot just kind of fits into that kind of romantic, idealized version of this part of the United States. Because it was also one of the last places we settled and, you know, it was the frontier up until what like 100 years ago even and in a lot of ways still is and it's just because as a kid Bigfoot was frightening like I, I will agree with uh, Eduardo about that you know as a kid Bigfoot was scary and then as a teenager you start seeing the mugs the t-shirt Harry and the Henderson's and there's like a weird softening to them and then there's at least in the past 10-15 years with the, the kind of squash hunting stuff that, that's like everywhere now it's more of like a respectful look. So he's had kind of like a wild journey, at least through my life mm-hmm. in terms of how I view Bigfoot and and what Bigfoot means to me at any particular time. It, yeah, it, he's versatile in a way that I think a lot of cryptids and and supernatural quote unquote entities
1: can't be. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, and, and he's still popular, mean, you know, we're still talking about him, you know, about this thing.
2: Hell yeah. so. I even remember there being uh like a beer commercial not that long ago, where it was a takeoff on that Bigfoot uh, video, but instead of like, it's blurry in the background holding like a, uh, I don't know, like a case of beer. I was like, Oh yeah. Cause it's still popular consciousness, you know?
3: Oh yeah. It, it did never leave. I think, especially yeah. with, with how much of the world is becoming more open to us. Everybody has a, as a camera mm-hmm. now, you know, it's, it's in our pockets at all times. So yeah, it's this weirdly immortal being, this hairy thing you know just it's it's crazy to think back in the 80s when i was young what he meant then then you look at it in 2021 what it means now to certain people and, and watching the culture and grow around him and it's, it's one of the more fascinating cryptids because i'm not necessarily like a i like bigfoot but you know like i'm not like dedicated to the study but it, it's it's crazy how much through cultural osmosis you end up knowing anyway like i know about pattern like grain patterns on people's feet because bigfoot documentaries i watched as a kid and you know when people were talking about like how real that the new uh footprint was and it, it's
2: it's insane for, for the record andrew i was going to recruit you in finding bigfoot with me
3: oh but am i out now
2: no no but i mean we can still do it <laughs> we can go on a All hunt right. for the snallygaster and then we can go on a bigfoot hunt yeah, yeah let
1: us know man we're, we're jamie and i are in maryland so yeah let us know
2: perfect yeah. the next evolution for this show like okay monsters That's great now we find you. them
1: yeah, we t-
3: yeah, take the show on the road. <laughs> I'm just frightened that we go to hunt for the snally gaster in Frederick County. All we're going to find out is like some rogue Hagerstonians, you know, that have breached their,
0: <laughs> that have breached quarantine. You'll probably find Greg mm-hmm. Hale out Hager making woods, footprints. Yeah. That's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: Greg, yeah. A funny random
2: cryptid media uh, thing I, I want to mention is, is there's another cryptid that when i lived in chicago before i moved here so i lived in washington oregon then chicago for a little bit and then here and when i lived in chicago it was around the time where there had been this whole big wave of mothman sightings in chicago which is kind of weird there were like 50 sightings and i always kind of wanted to do something off that
0: i I think in maryland we had the goat man it was very popular for a period of time oh pg county i I remember and it wasn't even that long ago i mean maybe 25 years ago 20 years ago or something but the goat man
3: i think he would like he would like steal dogs was like the man. we also have the bunny man uh, somewhere around here too. It's
0: coming up uh, Easter. they will be yeah. back. We have the we have the bunny man <laughs> like delivering delivering the eggs. <laughs>
2: <Man>. <laughs> I mean, where else do you think eggs would come from?
0: Yeah, Bunnies exactly. And Bigfoot.
3: Bunnies.
2: I always like to kind of like kind of close by talking about you know themes and meanings that are associated with the creature we're talking about or the film in question or both. And we, we kind of touch base on some of this stuff, but I just love the expansion of the Bigfoot mythos to give it a bit of a culture and an intelligence, like a bestial intelligence, but still it has motives and tactics and it's well beyond like a strict animal. Every time you can think of it in that light or anything in that light, thematically, I just love that it kind of decenters humanity as like the most important species on the planet and it gives it a little bit more of a
0: complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's It's interesting that you say that one of the things Bigfoot gets a knock on and I'm sure review reviews of I, I think I even saw this in a review of of exists um, is that they say you know horror movies monsters are metaphorical what's Bigfoot metaphorical for and I, I always felt that Bigfoot did have a metaphor in, in some ways whether it's uh, kind of man's hubris and kind of their passive, uh, ignorance of destroying nature, <laughs> sort, sort of thing. You know, just that's kind of the way I always I always mm-hmm. looked at it. But it is just kind of the passive ignorance of man to destroy something that's been here for a long time before us. You know, yeah. and they don't even know it, but they're eating up the woods or destroying mm-hmm. the rainforests and, and what kind of damage that could do and kind of putting a face on it. You know, almost like a Mother Nature style face on the on the thing that it is actually um, made extinct. I guess, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: true because, because whenever you see Bigfoot, like again, like what I said earlier is like, you never see Bigfoot like in town, like, Oh, Bigfoot snuck into this town and stole you know, sheep or whatever, or, you know, like like Jamie was saying about, you know, that it, you never see Bigfoot like in a bar drinking or whatever. It's always man going into the, it's, you know, it's territory and, you know, infringing on its, you know, on where it lives. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think I think Jamie's right, and also the idea that like you know that it that it is part of our past, like we are literally destroying our history. You know what I mean by just you know our constant expansion.
2: Yeah, you know yeah, I mean? yeah. I also think it just works well as just
3: that reminder that we've conquered so much. We've been to the moon. You know, we've discovered penicillin. Uh, we live longer than we should, but nature can still come and just kick us in the ass. I mean, hurricanes, tornadoes, big. Fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, and I think what Bigfoot does too, is the idea that like, like what you were saying is that no matter how advanced we get, like no matter how many weapons we have, whatever you put a human in the woods at night and you, we are at such a disadvantage. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I think that's, you know, for me, like a lot of the Bigfoot, you know, love came from being afraid during camping. Right. You know what I mean? Like, cause that's, you know, that's, that's the main thing. You think, oh, shit, there's a Bigfoot. Uh, there could be a Bigfoot out here. Or when you hear something, you know, walking in the woods, you're always like, what is that, you know? Is that a, you know, your imagination kind of goes crazy. Absolutely. Um, and, and the fact that it's been with us for so long, like it has such such a history of people seeing yeah. this thing. Um, it's, you know, it's it, it's so connected to us, you know what I mean?
2: Absolutely. Like like, And I think kind of like... Uh... You know, even back to Gilgamesh, there's this long-standing multicultural, international, historical separation between you know, civilization, which is where we live and where we have control, and the wilderness, which is dangerous, which is uncontrolled, which is full of terrors. You don't want to be there at night, and it really kind of walks into that because it's like, oh, if you're if you're deep enough in the woods civilization's over buddy like there easily can be this thing that if you find it in the wrong mood you're doomed
3: we need that gentle reminder from time to time that you know we are not the top of the future always mm-hmm. you know yeah. apex predators and bigfoot is a land shark is it not yeah
1: yeah Basically. <laughs>
2: absolutely love it yeah and it it kind of you know we like to think of ourselves as a species so elevated from the natural world which is kind of weird because we're still mammals we still have bodies and whatever but you know we have brains that makes us better but then literally the concept of bigfoot is like no it's it's this hybrid of man and the natural and i I think that really comes out in 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 the film so well and it strikes me every time i watch it it's just so well done gentlemen
1: yeah. Well, thank yeah, you, man. Yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for having us, and thanks for, uh, you know, I we're really happy that you enjoyed the film so yeah, much. For you know? sure.
2: Absolutely. Oh, yeah.
3: I like throw it at people, because a lot of my friends are just like, can we just get, like, a monster movie? Like, I just want a monster movie. And I'm like, "Yeah." you want the best monster movie I've seen in a while? Here you go. And it's, every time, it's just like, that kicked ass. You can't argue with something just, you promised me Bigfoot Rampaging, and I got Bigfoot Rampaging, and it was awesome. Like, what more could you ever want, you know, from a Bigfoot rampaging <laughs> than really well-shot Bigfoot rampaging? Because some of the images in this, I absolutely... The uh, bicycle scene, you know, the, when he comes out of the smoke, that shot in the night vision, um, the shot in the nest, too. Uh, when it, it's like that kind of, you hold on it when they discover that it's, it's there, like a, an entrance kind of blocking them and just breathing and watching. And it's, the confidence in the performance and makeup and in your filmmaking to be willing to show us these things. You don't get it a lot in monster, in monster movies.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So th- thank you guys so much for, for putting such love yeah. into the film and, and thank you so much for, for coming on the show and yak and yakking cryptids.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I mean, like I told you guys before, anytime I could talk about Bigfoot, I'm, I'm there. And no, thanks for being fans of the film and putting the word and we made it out of a place of love, you know, for this creature. And, and luckily, I think it shows, you know. I don't
0: know if it's still out there, but it was on Tubi for a while. So people could even catch it for free if they want to watch commercials or they could rent it. I'm checking
3: right now and it is available on Tubi.
0: Fantastic. That wraps this episode.
2: But I would like to extend a special thank you to Duero Sanchez and Jamie Nash for appearing on today's episode. And yes, uh, as always, to Andrew Fleming Dunn for helping with the, the co-hosting duties.
3: No, thank you for allowing me to nerd out with people. I really
2: enjoy the work. Absolutely. Like, um, absolute pleasure, man. And uh, to, to both of you gentlemen, uh, where can uh, like, like what's next for you? Is there anything that uh, you like to pitch to the listeners at home that you're working on or that's forthcoming?
1: Um, I just directed the last episode of uh, Queen of the South. And the mm. it's a new season starting, I guess, next week, next Wednesday. It's the final season, and um, it's a good. I did three episodes, and I've been with the show since season two. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a family show for me, like, you know, mm-hmm. not really a family show, but it's a family for me you know to be on the show to work on the show and uh so that's coming out for me and then jamie and i have some stuff always cooking you know in development and at various you know stages of uh, you know development at some you know places and we're also doing tv and we, we uh you know so nothing really uh to to uh you know to to, to yell out of to, to shout out about but uh but we're, you know, we're always cooking stuff, you know. Cut
2: irons in the fire.
1: Oh, absolutely. You have to.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm always on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Jamie underscore Nash. So if one of those irons actually gets super hot, I'll definitely announce it there. Perfect. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I would encourage our listeners at home to do that.
2: And, um, you know, again, uh, thank you both so much.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot.
2: Once more, I'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening. From the dawn of record human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive.